Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, today is Tuesday, July 6th. 2021, and we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and overall very cool coolness of some of the best plant people out there. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and as always, y'all, I'm so thrilled to be with you today. How's it going? You having a good uh, beginning to your July? I was going to say, did you have a good July 4th? But, um, you know, for a lot of our international listeners, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. So, uh, if you are a U.S. listener, one of them, they're Americans, I, uh, hope you didn't blow any fingers off. I hope you had a safe and fun July 4th and that your animals are not too traumatized. If you are one of my international friends, I hope you had a great Sunday and a great weekend and that you're doing okay. Um, Friday was my birthday. I turned 34 years ancient. Uh, my bones were like, you're old. That's what that's what bones sound like. I'm sorry for all those noises I assaulted your ear holes with. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I turned 34. And if you want to get me a late birthday gift, I am a size five star in rating and reviews. Yep. Uh, hey, so I've got a good one for you today. Um, I was just a guest on the What Are You Going to Do With That podcast, uh, which is a show about graduate school and all of that. And uh, I got to talk about my journey. And the host, uh, Danny Rekes, uh, decided that we, we, we decided we would do a cool episode swap. And I got to talk with Danny, and it was funny because she was like, I'm not a plant person. And she actually kind of is in indirectly a little bit. You'll more, more on that soon. I don't want to ruin the surprise, but uh, Danny is a PhD student um, and a research fellow at the University of Haifa, as well as uh, the University of Leipzig in Germany. And so uh, she is is brilliant, absolutely brilliant and personable and tells such an interesting story on um Everything from graduate school to human migration and the way that that plays into um, some of our sociopolitical issues and uh, agriculture and everything else. And I, I am so excited for you all to hear this episode. It's great. It's so good. Um, uh, before we get into that, I forgot to, as I usually do, put in a spot for a mid-roll. I know I'm not an adult. I don't write things down. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you about the cool stuff now that I would normally do in a mid-roll. Hey, you should go follow uh, Planthropology on social media. Um, search for Planthropology. It's Anthropology with a uh, PL slapped right on the front. And uh, look for the Bristlecone Pie, and, and that'll be me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And on the TikTok as a the plant prof at the plant prof. Um, if you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash planthropology. Um, I think that would be great, but you don't have to. You know what? It's uh, it's fine. You don't have to su- support the show that way. I would just be happy for you to listen and to tell your friends about planthropology. Uh, the show has been growing a lot lately. I don't know where you people are coming from, but I'm very happy about it. So um, if you want to support the show more, you know, the best thing you can do is is retweet, tell friends um, uh, about the show, share things on Facebook about it, and just listen and enjoy it. I hope you do. Um, also, as always, if you leave a rating and review on either Podchaser or Apple or wherever and send me a screenshot um, with your address, I will send you a cool sticker pack. And I'm almost through writing this round's uh, list of um Thank you notes that go with it. I handwrite a note with each one, and they will hopefully go out this week. If not, it'll be next week. But um, I had quite a few of them, and so my uh, – does anyone write with a pen anymore? 
I don't know. I do. And so uh, those will go out soon. So if you want to get in on the next batch, uh, yeah, drop a rating and review. Send me your address and I will send you some cool stickers. Uh, But that's all. That's all. So I hope you are ready for some really interesting information uh, that's sometimes heavy, often fun, and um, really, really interesting. Um, so get yourselves ready for today's episode of Plantropology with my new friend and host of the What Are You Going to Do With That podcast, Danny Reckes. All right. Well, we are back with another episode of Planthropology, and I've got something a little bit different for you uh, today. I'm here with uh, Danny Reyes, um, who is a, a joint PhD student and a fellow, uh, at, and I'm going to try to say all these words right, <laughs> at the <laughs> University of Haifa uh, and also uh, at the University of uh, Leipzig. In, That's right. Yeah. Awesome. In Germany. Uh, she is... Um, at the Center for German and European Research. She's doing migration studies. And she has such a, in my opinion, a very, very interesting background. And, um, you know, normally we talk about plants here, but we also talk a lot about academia and different life experiences and how we get to where we get to. And uh, I got to be a guest on um, uh, Danny's podcast, What Are You Going to Do With That? Uh, actually, just last mm-hmm. week. And so... Uh, I'm excited to have her on today. So, uh, Danny, how are you doing? I'm great, and I'm so glad to be on your podcast this time after having our conversation for my podcast. Uh, so let's see where it goes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited, and um, like I said, we we normally talk about plants, and I'm really excited about you know talking about uh, history too, because an important part of this podcast is not just the plants itself, but our human connections to the world around us, to, um, uh, you know, the natural environment, to different societies and things like that. That's the anthropology part of plantropology a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I think about, you know, human migrations and, and the way that we move, a lot of that's driven by the environment and by uh, that kind of thing. But but I, I'm I'm excited, so I'm going to try not to ramble too much. But uh, why don't we start off and, and just introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us about yourself and uh, how you got to where you are today. So me and my research are a bit from all over the place, as you've already mentioned. Uh, I was born and raised in the Netherlands, but I have a Dutch mother and an Israeli father. Uh, so I was born with two passports. And as soon as I finished high school, I went to Israel to get to know my roots a little bit more, learn the language, see my family, things like that. Um, so since I'm grown up, um, I've been living half here and half there in the Netherlands and in Israel. Um, and I've been studying a BA in Middle Eastern studies in the Netherlands. That's what interested me back then. And then I was in Israel and I started studying international relations. So a bit broader and more international. And then somehow I ended up doing a PhD at the same University of Haifa in Israel on migration studies. So it's a little bit of everything, but I'm very excited to be doing what I'm doing right now. That's awesome. And uh, gosh, there's there's so much there. And I think that's <laughs> like you really you really have a very diverse, um, diverse background. And uh, what what got you interested in those things? Was it was it uh 
partially just having like, you know, two passports and living in different parts of the world and having this like wide experience? It might be. Yeah. Uh, I do tell people usually that I am a fifth generation migrant myself. And um, whereas in America, a lot of people think that means you're the fifth person living in America. Hmm. It, I actually mean it's the fifth person in a straight line in my family who has moved to a different country than where they were born in. Wow. So that means that my dad and my grandfather and my great grandfather, but also on both sides, also on the mother's side, lived in a different country than they were born in. Uh, so that has to do, of course, with a lot of history. Like you said, um, I, my family background is Jewish. So we have the world wars going on and people moving around a lot. Um, but my dad moved by choice uh, because of my mom. They met in Israel. She was blonde and uh, he <laughs> fell in love and they went to the Netherlands. And that's where I was born. And then I uh, did a similar thing. I fell in love with my now husband. We recently got married. Um, Congratulations. So he, Thank you. He's Israeli. And um, that's also one of the reasons that I stuck around here. And I'm very glad to be doing my research in Israel right now. That's that's pretty cool. And and you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you are a, a joint PhD student. And um, I don't know that that's something that is super common here in the US. I mean, I know it, it is done. But uh, tell, what does that mean? How What does that look like? So that's where you're crazy enough at the beginning of your PhD <laughs> because you're not sure what you're doing yet. They're like, oh, can I get two degrees from two different universities? Why not? Um, and then they, they try to make you believe that you can do it within the same amount of time. <laughs> but that's probably not going to happen, at least not for me. Um, but yeah, I started doing my PhD at my hometown university in Israel, in Haifa. And from there, they are very connected because it's the European Studies Center, right, with European universities and uh, professors that work there in all kinds of departments. So my supervisor was really close to another professor in Europe in political science. And my supervisor here is a historian, uh, even though I come from political science. So he's like, maybe if we can connect with a second supervisor that is closer to your field, then it would be easier for him, obviously, but also for me and my work. And then we can connect to another university. So it would benefit our center. Uh, also me and the research. So it seemed like a win-win and I did receive a scholarship for it. It was worth it, I think. That's awesome. That And that, you know, that gives you such a uh, uh, vast, again, range of experience. And we, we talk a lot, I think, in, in academia about, you hear, well, at least I have heard a lot, uh, oh, you shouldn't get, you know, multiple degrees from the same place, blah, 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 which I apparently didn't care and I just did anyway. Uh, but it's interesting that you're like in two places for, you know, at the same time. And, uh, I think that's, that's really cool. I think, you know, diver diversity is always good. Uh, however you kind of cut that in, in experience and education and in people, in ecology. Uh, so that, that's really cool to me. Definitely. It's, it's one of the joys for me, uh, that I get to travel around, live in different places, I have traveled quite a lot, also together with my partner. Um, we spent a few months traveling around in Asia. We spent six months traveling and working in Australia at different times. Uh, and unfortunately, because of Corona, it doesn't seem like we can do another trip anytime soon. Mm. But um, it's definitely on the long-term plan because we still need to do that honeymoon, right? Yeah. And I, then I, the people that you meet and the stories that you hear um, are so enriching. It's really great. 
Oh, for sure. And, you know, and that's, it, it, yeah, I, I would love to travel more than I've been able to. Uh, and it's, it's funny because we, I think in the U.S. sometimes get kind of, I don't want to say stuck. It's maybe not the right word, <laughs> but we're, we're maybe not uh, in general as well traveled as those in, in some other parts of the world. Uh, you know, my, um, it's interesting hearing you talk. Uh, I am a first generation American, probably in, in immigrant or whatever it, it, it probably in either way that you look at it. My mm-hmm. family moved to the U S from, uh, India in the seventies. And oh. so my mom was probably, Oh, 12, 13 or something when they moved here. And, wow. um, young. Yeah, pretty young. My uncle was two. And uh, so they, you know, they live most of their life here in the US. But um, my grandparents were in the medical profession. My granddad was a doctor and he got his medical license in India and then uh, moved the family to the US and had practiced here for 30 years. And uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting hearing those experiences because I've been back to India. I say back. It's not back for me, but uh, right. three times, I guess. And, uh, you know, in my mind, that's this big like undertaking to get there because I'm an American and we don't travel a lot. But then it's cool to hear the experiences of of folks internationally that you're like, oh, yeah, I was in all these places and I saw four countries last weekend and all of that. It's just, <laughs> it, it's kind of cool to just to, to think about. And I think it's uh, seeing the world is a is a big goal of mine. I would love to see a lot more places than I have. Where about in India have you been? So uh, mostly kind of central, south central, southwest. My um, uh, my mom uh, and I guess my dad too were from uh, the Mysore region uh, of of India. Um, my grandparents lived in uh, Mumbai for quite a while. So the first time that I was there, I was or, or or Bombay for those that are maybe uninitiated. Uh, and so the first time I went when I was a kid, we went to Mumbai. I spent most of the time there. Um, later, and this is on my dad's side. Uh, later on, they moved to uh, Bangalore, uh, which is more in the center of the country, uh, mm-hmm. sort of more Southern central. And so we spent some time there. We've been to uh, uh, a place called Goa, which was a Portuguese colony. Ooh, uh, I've heard of Goa. And it's beautiful. One of the most beautiful places mm-hmm. I've ever been. Um, a lot of beach. A lot of beach. A lot of old uh, uh, Catholic churches and stuff too, which was a... Yeah. I, I, forgot, I forget that Europeans were in India for 400 years, you know. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of uh, uh, Portuguese, definitely English influence there, British influence. And uh, so it's, it was interesting for me. It was definitely a... Um, eye-opening experience for me getting to go back and, and learn more about some of my roots. So you and your family sound very adventurous because that's what I think it is. I think that a lot of migrants, people who chose to migrate, right? That's very different from refugees. Sure. Forced to, it didn't have a choice, uh, which is also part of the research I'm doing. Um, so people who chose in a way to, to migrate for whatever reason, for love or for work or other <laughs> things, uh, I think they're very adventurous. It's a big leap to go to, especially in your case, the other side of the world, right? Or, or a whole different place um, and try and make it there. But they also become very creative, right? They have to find their way in this new place. They have to learn a new language. Everything is different. Uh, of course, also the plants, which is what you would be talking sure, about yeah. more. <laughs> uh, and, and so that actually leads me into my next question. So 
it, it was funny when we were talking about this, uh, about setting up these interviews. Uh, you were like, well, I'm not really a, a plant person. So I was <laughs> curious to hear, do you have any experience working with plants? I mean, you're from the Netherlands. So I would think that there's at least some, you know, some connection there. Well, that's the thing. Um, in one way, I would say, no, I don't have a lot of experience with plants. And part of the reason is because I am moving around a lot. Mm -hmm. I also now live in student dorms that's just on a one-year contract, right? So I don't have any pets. I don't commit to any plants uh, because <laughs> I, it doesn't fit in my suitcase, right? Right. Um, but on the other hand, here in Israel, my family is from a kibbutz. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept, mm -hmm. but it's really an agricultural community. Um, and my uncle is the manager of the avocado fields there. So that's oh, a big, cool. uh, part of our family and our history. Yeah. That's fascinating. And, and, you know, when I think of, when I think of the ne Netherlands, I think of flowers and I think of, right. um, you know, I, I, I mentioned when we spoke for, for your podcast that I'm from a very flat, dry, uh, part of the world. And it's interesting studying plants here because we have grass. <laughs> we have some wildflowers and that's kind of it, uh, natively anyway. Um, so was that, was that ever part of your life growing up, the, the plant festivals and those kinds of things? Interesting. Actually, uh, when my dad came to the Netherlands the first time, um, he didn't even have a high school degree. Wow. Like, uh, in the Netherlands where you need a degree for everything to do anything. Uh, he started working at the flower auction in the Netherlands, which is this huge deal because the Netherlands is a big hub for import and export throughout the, all of Europe. Mm -hmm. So the flowers come in there to be sold and then transported immediately. So he had a big thing with flowers. And still, I think he's one of the only people, or maybe it's a generational thing, I don't know, who still gives flowers a lot to family or friends for birthdays or occasions. Um, but I am from a part in the Netherlands that's not really known for its tulips. That's really okay. a different province. So I haven't actually had that experience of cycling past it on my way to school or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay. No, that's that's interesting though. And and you mentioned like giving flowers, and that's this is gonna be sort of a tangent, but that not many people do that anymore. That really is interesting. Right? That's not that's as much a bit of a thing. Old fashioned, I feel right now. Yeah. You know, and I've we have um Actually, here at the greenhouse that I run, uh, one of our, we have a bunch of classrooms. We teach a bunch of labs. We see like 500 students a week. It's, it's pretty active. But one of our courses is floral design. And um, mm. uh, one of our instructors here actually has written textbooks on floral design. He's like the guy, right? He knows he's, he's the floral design guy. Um, and it's interesting seeing students come to take that class. And... Uh, uh, finding out that there is still a, like a market for it. There's still a career for it. And it's really fun watching them learn to like make arrangements and uh, appreciate the different plant materials and all of that. It's kind of mm -hmm. cool. Having just had a marriage a wedding <laughs> <laughs> and, and never having thought about flowers before, I understand that there is a huge market in this and that people who know how to style flowers, like you say, they, they make good money. They do. <laughs> They do. It's yeah. a, and it's interesting because that for me, and it was one of the things that drew me to, to landscaping is it's an interesting mix of like art and science. And, uh, you know, you get to, because you have to know how the flowers work, how they hold up in different conditions and all that. But it, it's also art, you know, it's, it's uh, design. It's kind of interesting. 
Um, but yeah. this isn't about me. This is about you. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about the the uh, research you're doing now um, and, and some of the work you're doing. Could you tell us just a little bit more about your, your PhD program? Yeah, sure. Um, I hope I can be short about it. I usually ramble on at some point, oh, so it's you fine. might have to stop me. No, it's fine. <laughs> cool. So uh, I'm looking a lot into uh, discourses. So what are the perceptions of people in Germany and the Netherlands? Those are my case study countries. Um, how do they perceive uh, immigrants? And I'm looking particularly at immigrants who come from the Middle East and North Africa. So these are people that have been coming in larger numbers to Northern Europe, um, especially in the 60s, because they were invited to come as what they called guest workers, which already means that they were going to be there as a guest and then at some point also leave again. Huh. Right. But then actually what happened is that they didn't leave because they kept getting work contracts. So they were able to stay longer. At some point, they started flying in their families and their children even decided to example, marry someone in Turkey and then also bring them back to the Netherlands. And that went on well into the 80s and the 90s. Then in the 90s and uh, 2000s, we had a lot of refugees coming from Northern Africa, also from Syria nowadays in the last 10 years, of course, um, but also from Turkey. So here we have people coming in from the Middle East, being a presence uh, for quite long and in a quite large amount too in these countries. But how have people perceive these groups? Have these things always been the same since the 60s? Were they more positive in the beginning because they were guests and it was fun? Or did they already back then maybe speak about them in a way that's not so nice? Interesting. Um, so there's a lot of discourse analysis that I'm doing. I'm looking into newspapers, particularly in print. So I've been going to a lot of archives in Germany and in the Netherlands to collect all these newspapers. I've really been sitting in front of these huge machines with film that I had to go over. So I really felt like a detective when I was doing that, but I got tired of it pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to COVID, maybe, um, a lot of it actually went online. So I was able to collect it from home behind my computer. Um, and now I'm still going over that data to really see what has actually been said. And I'm starting to see results. Some things that I obviously expected already based on the literature review I've done, but some things also quite interesting. So I like where it's going. That's really exciting. And, and uh, you know, and I, <laughs> I know how it is when you're in the process of kind of parsing some of these things out that it's hard to say too much about, uh, you know, where that is. But I'm interested in the future as you kind of get farther down the road to hear, uh, you know, a little bit more about the, some of the things you found. And uh it's interesting hearing you talking about this because I, I think immigration worldwide is a major um, area of discussion, right? People mm -hmm. move and there's so much political and social and uh, just, just everything else kind of wrapped into that. Right. Because a lot of the things that I see in these newspapers and the way that they write about certain foreigners and immigrants um, is not even true. And I know that because that happened in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. And there's scientific research done about that and surveys to check what was actually the case. And we know that it was just really like fake news, literally, in the 60s in the newspaper. Uh, back then, we just didn't call it that way yet. Right. Um, and everything was very political right from the start. Politicians always had something to say about it. 
um, in a way they've always been in this situation, the gatekeepers of the nation, right? The politicians decide who is part of the nation and who is not. So it's always been political. Um, and this is what I find so interesting. And that's why as coming from political science, I think migration fits in really well. And it also really ha is a field that has, unfortunately, in a way, a important future. Yeah. Well, man, that is, and that, that kind of has my uh, brain spinning a little bit. I, mm -hmm. I, I like the way you say that. I, I say I like it. Maybe I, it's an interesting way to say that, that they are the gatekeepers of the nation. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never really thought of it in those terms, but you're absolutely right. That's fascinating. Um, you know, my immigration is a, a, a big, well, again, it's a big deal everywhere, but in the world of agriculture, uh, in, in the U.S. right now, probably internationally as well, but I can't speak to that as well. That is something that we hear constantly, constantly. We talk about uh, uh, migrant workers and and folks that are coming to work in agricultural production settings and all that. Mm -hmm. And I have lots of friends that are agriculturists that own farms that employ lots of migrant workers. And uh, the complexity of the like sociopolitical factors that drive the ability of these folks to come work and these folks to, to and it, it's on both sides, right? Like they, they want to come work and the farmers and the people that are running these operations need them. They, they need them. They're yeah. an integral part of our food systems, of the way that we live our lives. But then it gets uh, picked up by one political party or the other, and it just becomes this whole thing. I know. Did you know that here in Israel, a lot of agricultural labor workers from Thailand? I didn't know that. And my uncle, who's working with the avocado here, has a few Thai workers, and his work has paid him to take some Thai classes. So he would be, you know, better in communicating with them about all kinds of small things. And now with Corona, it's been a huge issue because they haven't been able to come back after, for example, visiting family or to extend their visa anymore. So there's mm -hmm. been a huge lack of these workers. Um, so it's a really interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Wow. And, and no, I, I didn't realize that that's really fascinating. You know, most of our migrant workers here are from Mexico and, you know, because a lot of our ag production is in the Southern U S along the, the mm -hmm. border with Mexico and Texas, um, throughout parts of New Mexico, Arizona, into California. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that that is a big political issue right now, the border, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, we've seen over the past uh, year, especially through COVID, how important these workers are, these uh, these people are uh, to our very way of life here in this country. I'm sure that's that's true there too. But you know, there there were um, fields in California that the crops were planted, and not just in California, but the crops were planted, the the vegetables grew, and they rotted in the field. Because wow. the, the borders closed and people weren't yeah. able to come harvest it. Uh, and that that's devastating to to hear because of the amount of food insecurity that is present worldwide. Yeah, I hope that um, some people will remember that also after this crisis is over. Because um, a story that we hear a lot all over the world by politicians is that, you know, these these foreign workers are coming to steal our jobs, especially <laughs> in Europe. And I suppose also with you. Oh, very much. No people who are able to do it because simply they don't want to. They're doing other things, right? Like we're academics. 
Yeah. <laughs> We're not in the field. And um, there's also not enough sometimes uh, people who, who could be working in the fields to take everything out. So they're really a necessity too for our economies. And um, if we would start looking at them that way and we would also treat them that way, I think a lot of people would be better off. I think so too. And, and, you know, it's, it's a, uh, I, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen this or I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, but it seems to me that, that dealing with some of these issues, one of the first things is finding common ground. We have to find a way to, to, you know, like you were saying, recognize that, uh, immigrants and, and just not just everyone, like we're all integral in each other's lives in some way. And we all, uh, are important to each other. And, and unfortunately some of the, talking or screaming heads sometimes that we have to listen to want to drive divisions into that, right? And and make yeah. it us versus them when we're really kind of all part of a team. Have you seen that uh, efforts to find those common grounds uh, throughout, you know, throughout history have led to benefits? I mean, is that something that has even really been done? Wow, that's a really complicated question. Ah, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, no, this is one of the most important questions in migration studies, and everyone has uh, very different ideas about it. Um, I don't think I can actually give you an example of a success story, which is the sad hmm. thing. Wait, are you still with me? Yeah, can you can you hear okay, me? Okay, you froze for a moment. Oh, so, okay. But you can still hear me. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it says now my internet connection is unstable. So let me know if you lose me. Okay. I'll tell my partner in the meantime that he should stop watching Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I was saying that, yeah, there's unfortunately not really a success story yet. Um, but, and I think one of the problems is in finding a solution to this issue is that it's not so much about the people. It's much more on a higher level of those politicians. And it's for a reason that I also said that these people are the ones who, who decide what the nation actually is, who is a part of it, and who is not a part of it, wow. right? Um, so it has to do a lot with identity and with nationalism. Um, and that is a very difficult thing to, to change. And for politicians, it's the only way for them to survive. If they want to stay a politician in a high position, they need to give their constituency the idea that they are the ones who are protecting them. And that's why it's worth it to vote for them. And that's why populists, our populist uh, actors, um, are very powerful in that way and very successful because they found out how it works and what people want to know and how to make people a little bit scared of others and that they are the savior of these people who are scared of the other um, wow. so it, it it's it goes very deep in a way yeah and that's a very difficult issue to solve so we might not only look into migration and migration studies and that literature for solution but also really in political science research that's being done about populism at the moment wow that's that's really fascinating um that yeah that gives me a lot to think about that'll that'll play around in my head for a while um, it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, no, it does. It, it, it absolutely does. Um, yeah. Uh, so I want to change gears just a little bit. I mean, this has been a really fascinating conversation, but uh, I don't want to uh, miss out 
on the podcast that you do. I, I think that that's really fascinating, really interesting. And again, yes, um, I know that it, it maybe seems like a hard left turn from what we've been talking <laughs> about, but um, but I, I don't think so because I think that what y'all do on your podcast is in a lot of ways feature a lot of different voices um, mm-hmm. uh, in different fields and in different studies and in different life experiences. And that is so important to finding that common ground that we've been talking about and, and uh, starting to address uh, some of these issues, even I think we've been talking about. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? What are you going to do with that? Yes. And don't forget that it's also interesting and important, but it's mostly a lot of fun, right? It That's is fun. why I'm hosting that podcast. Like yeah. I enjoy doing that a lot. Um, so it wasn't actually my idea. Uh, two years ago, right before the pandemic hit, um, uh, someone that I study with in the University of Haifa, but not from my study center, from another study center that's more into law. It's called the Minerva Center mm-hmm. uh, for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions. Um, and his name is Ido Rosenstein. So he is working there. He's also doing his PhD there at the moment. He's supposed to be done soon. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Then he'll be Dr. Ido. Uh, He came up with this idea because he's been working with a lot of other PhD students. And he's been working in the center with a lot of ECRs too. um, That he's like, okay, so I'm kind of doing the PhD alone because I'm not doing any classes or courses where I meet peers. Um, And I... I'm struggling with a lot of things and sometimes I really want to celebrate something, but I can't, I'm all by myself going through this. Yeah. So he was thinking there must be a lot of other people with similar stories who are in, or maybe interested in, in listening to what other people experience. And he was really into listening to podcasts himself at the time. So he thought, why not ask the center that I'm already working for if they would be cool with doing a podcast on their name, right? To have a little bit more uh base and ground mm-hmm. and some some listeners to start with as well <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he was totally into doing that and producing that and editing it and thinking a little bit about the music we already had uh the equipment even for video but also the uh, microphones and all these things because we used that already to record presentations of the ecrs in the oh, center okay so we had all the equipment right all he needed was someone who likes to talk a lot (laughs) and is comfortable enough with doing that in English because here obviously most people are Hebrew or Arabic native speakers right so I was crazy enough again at the beginning of my PhD (laughs) not knowing what I was getting into (laughs) to volunteer uh, which was a lot of fun and the volunteering has also actually turned into a little bit more of a job I uh, am getting a little bit of a contribution for it so that's really great as well and it's also a lot of appreciation, so I like that. Um, yeah, and it's been it's been going well. So I started talking to guests who are doing their PhD or just recently finished doing their PhD. And when they talk about their academic stories, I wanted to know, and you know, also we both wanted to know what their struggles were, what their successes were. Um, and we pretty quickly found out that everyone has a very unique story like very unique research different fields different universities different backgrounds uh, different countries different languages all of these things but there's a lot of similar themes coming back all the time we're always talking about the publications Uh, we talked about earlier which will come up in our episode of our Mm -hmm. podcast as well about tenor track about things in the system that don't really seem to be right 
Um, so we talk a lot about a lot of these things, which is very difficult for a PhD student, for example, also to speak about their supervisor when they're still doing their <laughs> PhDs, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you're struggling with that. Um, but I think it's been very important. And I've been recognizing a lot in other people's stories. Um, and I've also been learning a lot from it. So that's been a lot of fun, a really great learning experience. Um, and a great cooperation with Ido as well. And it's it's a great show, and I really enjoy uh, listening to it. And and I, you know, I, I again, we we talked about this a little bit, but um, part of being, I think, in the field that we are in, in academia and all of that is just getting to learn new things. Like uh, that's what keeps me excited about it. Is I get to learn new things, and uh, you have such a wide variety of people on yeah. your show that you get to learn a lot of cool new stuff. Yeah, and, and things that I never even knew were out there. Uh, for example, not only the systems of, of when or how you get to do a PhD in Europe and in Israel and in Australia and in the US mm-hmm. work very differently. Um, but the same goes for different kinds of fields. Like I had never realized that in biology, they work in labs and they have to apply for a lab instead of just thinking of a research topic that they want to look into which is very different from the way i'm doing my phd right um so i've been speaking to someone who's been doing molecular biology and looking into uh, broccoli we've been speaking to a guy who calls himself also the banana man (laughs) uh, who's doing research about banana diseases yeah um and and it's really all kinds of things we have people from law people from psychology social work um, really anything you can imagine. That's awesome. And, and so how, uh, you know, and I, I always wonder, uh, cause I think about this about, uh, my show and it's, it's a hard question to answer. And I don't know if you have a good answer for it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have, um, a feel for what your listener base is like? Do you think it's just academics? Do you think it's, uh, some people outside of academia that are just curious? Is there, it's hard to know. Uh, and I wonder about this a lot for my show too. So I was just curious what, what you <laughs> thought or if you had any insight. Yeah, it's hard to know. And I think Ido has a bit more insight than me because he's the producer and he's also uh, behind our social media accounts and uh, wherever you can listen to our podcasts. So he knows a bit more about numbers, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does share it with me, especially if it's good numbers. <laughs> <laughs> then he wants me to know. Sometimes also when they're less good numbers. Right, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I, I like to think that it's it's mostly um, people who are going through the same things themselves, who are ECRs, who are doing a PhD, um, especially in the beginning, I feel. Also from people that I've had some feedback from, um, because they're really still searching for, how am I going to do this? Can someone tell me how this is going to be? Um, and also a lot of people, and I've gotten a lot of personal messages also on social media uh, to me directly, not even the podcast, uh, with people asking like, okay, so I'm thinking about doing a PhD. Uh, should I do it or not? <laughs> and that's a very difficult question to ask someone who's struggling with their own PhD. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I always try to give a most neutral advice and then also really say like, why don't you just listen to the podcast? listen to the stories of different people and see if you can relate to any of them and then just do what you feel is right for you. 
in the end, you really have to listen to to your yourself, to how you feel about it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think that uh, if you're out there listening and you're you know in in graduate school, whether honestly, whether at the master's or PhD level, even though it is different, uh, there are some differences there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I think, responsibility and and uh, the amount of guidance you get and all of this kind of stuff. But um, I think that if you are in academia, honestly, on either side of your PhD, whether you're a student or whether you're a faculty member uh, who is advising and is working with PhD students, I think this is a great show to listen to. Your show is a great show to listen to because you get a lot of insight into the uh, both the, the successes and the struggles. And I think on this side of the field, as we're building our careers as, you know, faculty members, as PhDs, it's important to go back and hear those stories of, gosh, I really struggled with this or I really struggled with that. So we can try to help our students through that so that we can be better mentors and better advisors. So I think uh, anyone that is even related to academia should be listening to the show. But also, even if you're not, and you just like some insight into the stuff that we do, uh, mm-hmm. it, I think it would be pretty fascinating to hear just uh, some of that from an outside perspective, too. And if I may add uh, something extra that we've been mostly focusing on, especially in this second season that we're almost wrapping up right now, mm-hmm. um, is that we're focusing very much, too, on the diversity of our guests. We don't want to like present academia, which is actually the way it is mostly at the moment, which is still white and sure. older yeah. and male, <laughs> if I may say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, not so politically correct. Ah. Um, so, so we are trying to to have guests really from from all over. So we have a lot of women guests on our podcast, and there are a lot of PhD uh, female PhD students. Yeah, even in a way disproportionately more. Uh, so hopefully a lot of professors will come out of that in the future too, female professors. Yeah. Um, but we also have people from different backgrounds, like here in Israel, I've been speaking to, to Jewish Israelis, obviously. Also been speaking with, uh, with Arabs and Palestinians, uh, from different, uh, religions. We've had people who are, who are from the Christian minority and even from the Druze minority, which is something you might have never heard about, but it's definitely worth listening to. Mm. Um, and for those women, it's sometimes even more difficult to break a glass ceiling through their communities. So we have some really powerful stories in there. We also have people from the LGBTQ plus community, which especially in this Pride Month is very important. Uh, we've had an episode about microaggression in uh, academia, where we also spoke with someone who's been very active in the Black Lives Matter uh, movement mm-hmm. and also speaks about um, being black or of color in academia and how people look at you if if that's what you do and uh, how difficult that is yeah and how to respond to microaggression so we've had some very interesting people very strong people um with a lot of tips and tricks to get through it because we really believe that um it's a very difficult thing to do a phd but if you're only thinking about it you're probably good to go and you can power through so good to listen to some tips and tricks. Yeah. Well, that actually leads me into the the kind of the, we're, we'll start wrapping up here. But uh, the last question I really, or one one question I like to ask every guest. And uh, it, it's, it's you know, that's a, that was a perfect segue into this is if you had a piece of advice for our listeners, and it can be about 
anything, literally, literally, literally anything. Um, what would that be? What would you like someone to take home with them after listening to this episode? Oh man, I'm probably going to think of something way better right before I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> but what I'm thinking about right now, uh, which is a follow-up of what we were just saying, um, is really to, um, to listen to, your, to, to how you feel, uh, how it's going. A lot of people start doing a PhD and then they find out that it's not working out. And that could be for a lot of different reasons. It could be that it's just not for you. Um, it might be something very different than you thought it was going to be. You might be struggling financially because that was also not going to be not how you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be too much of a lonely experience for you. There could be a lot of reasons. There could be even reasons that you think aren't good enough to quit. But sometimes it really is okay to quit. I know a lot of people who are soldier try to keep soldiering on through struggles. And sometimes that is what you have to go through and, and it's not easy. So there will be rough patches and you'll get through them. But you also have to really feel when it's too much and then it's not worth it to suffer and get, you know, really with mental health issues at the end. So it's important to keep talking with friends, with family, have a support system, never let go of that, no matter how busy you are, um, to keep checking in with yourself. Like, is this still how I want to keep doing it? It's also okay to take breaks. Breaks are very important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so listen to yourself, listen to your support, and then you'll figure out if you should be going on or not. And either way is really fine. I don't think you're a failure for choosing either one. That's all. And that's great advice. That is really great advice. Uh, Danny, is there anything we left out? Is there anything you wanted to cover that that we didn't touch on? Uh, No, I I was glad to be able to speak a little bit about my own background, about my research a bit more, uh, and also about the podcast. So I think my producer can be really happy about it. (laughs) Yeah, I hope hope Ido really appreciates that. I think he will. I think he will. Um, So where all can we find you? you know, I, it's funny because I asked that question and some people are like, I don't want to be found. Please don't. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're in a pretty public role and with the podcast mm-hmm. and everything else. So uh, where all can we find you and your podcast? So first the podcast is quite easy. It's called What Are You Going to Do With That? Um, which is, you know, about the PhD and what people always ask students <laughs> who are doing a PhD. <laughs> so you should be able to remember that. Yeah. Uh, and we're on all social media stuff. So you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and we also have a website, obviously. You can listen to us on Spotify, on Deezer, on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, really any major platform you'll be able to find us. Um, and we also happen to have a website where we have the blog and the blog really has specific tips for, uh, ECRs on particular topics. So we talk about the imposter syndrome, which you might've heard about. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I lived about, it. I live it. Yep. Right. <laughs> I think we all did. Yeah. So how to deal with that. Um, but also, uh, about publishing, publishing in a foreign language, where to publish, what to publish, all kinds of things like that. And all of those blogs are actually connected to our YouTube channel, which each has a video of me um, and some of the people that we collaborated with um, saying some tips and and things about that. So 
that would be great. You can also find us on YouTube. And then there's just me personally. Uh, I think I'm the only one out there with this name. <laughs> so <laughs> you can just Google me and then you'll find me. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's awesome. And I'll put links to all that in the, in the show notes for this episode. So make it a little bit easier great. for folks to find you too. But uh, Danny, I really appreciate your thoughts and your uh, uh, openness with all of that. It was, I, it was a really a fascinating conversation and um, I can't wait for folks to hear it. Yes. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening and um, y'all keep being cool and we will talk again soon. Y'all, I hope that in this episode, um, Danny has encouraged you like she encouraged me to know myself better, uh, to know the things that I love and the things that I want to do and to keep pursuing those things. And, and y'all, that's what I'm doing. And uh, it it makes me happy that uh, someone else is kind of affirming that, that that's the way that we should be living our lives. Um, y'all, I also hope that uh, you can find common ground with people and um realize the complexity of human life and the other people that are around us. But uh, I just want to say again, thank you to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for the constant support uh, for making this whole thing possible and this whole thing able to happen. Thank you for listening. I do this uh, for me, but I also do this mostly for you um, because I am glad you enjoy it. And I love to hear your thoughts and I love to hear your um in your impressions of the show. So thank you for connecting on social media. Thanks for the ratings and reviews that you leave. Uh, you y'all know that I love you so much and, um, thanks for listening. Y'all are awesome. I hope that you keep being cool and we'll talk to you again next week about trees. Uh, be safe, be good, be smart, and above all, be kind. Take care. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.